Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. I'm Juwad as always. Thank you for joining me today on the 8th of August after the Hungarian Grand Prix. The summer break has come for Formula One. Not really summer for us, but that's okay. We're, we're slowly working our way towards it and I feel a hell of a lot better than I did last week too. So hopefully I shouldn't be interrupted by coughing and sneezing and all sorts of rubbish throughout this one so yeah Hungarian Grand Prix already done midway through the season four week break now from F1 where this the factories go into shutdown drivers get to have a bit of a break silly season goes into overdrive where people are trying to sew up their futures for 2020 and more importantly we get to sit back and reflect on the first half of the season so far which I'll do more of um, next week actually no not next week the week after I'll take a week off next week and the week after I'll do a, a mid-season review and um, look back at uh, the season that has been so far but for Hungary so far um, not so far <laughs> Hungary the race not as exciting as the last three races that we've had since Austria. We've had this really good run of exciting Grand Prix, but it was still pretty good at the end. Um, Max Verstappen claimed his first pole position in his career after however many races. He's surely nearing the 100 race mark as well. Uh, he claimed his first pole position, and he'll probably be a bit miffed that he didn't get the record for the youngest driver on pole, which I think Charles Leclerc did earlier this season. But he started from his first pole, and important to stress as well, that's another accolade for Honda, first time that they've been on pole in F1 since 2006, so they've ticked off the win, they've ticked off the pole position, and who would have thought that a Red Bull Honda would beat a Mercedes um, for a pole position this year in dry conditions too, so that's how tight it was in qualifying on Saturday, and... Um, Red Bull got that one over Mercedes so yeah Verstappen starting from pole controlled most of the race but it was Lewis Hamilton who came back to win seventh race in Hungary his 81st career win as well can you believe it I mean who would have thought when he went to Mercedes in 2013 and the numbers that he had at that point I think it was would have been like 20 something race wins or whatever or 30 even that he would be at 81 wins, 10 shy now of Michael Schumacher, equaling Michael Schumacher's win record. So, you know, you don't, you'd think that it wouldn't happen this year given the amount of races that are left, but perhaps this time next year, Hamilton would have surpassed that record and becomes the highest, you know, the driver with the most wins in F1. So something to ponder a little bit, I guess, um, while we have this little break from F1. But yeah, Hamilton ended up winning the race ahead of Max Verstappen. Verstappen controlled the race, but Mercedes went a bit left field and tried a two-stop strategy, gambling on a, another set of medium tyres, which uh, Hamilton sort of questioned and was very doubtful um, throughout the race that would work. He had about a 19-second margin to turn around which he did you know there was enough laps in there so a bit of a slow burn but he got there he passed Verstappen on lap 67 
and uh, went on to win the race from there. Max now had to make an additional pit stop because his tyres had pretty much dropped off the cliff and even though he had plenty of space between himself and the car that finished behind, it was um, still worth going in, getting a fresh set of tyres, set the fastest lap as well and claim that extra championship point. So there's your top two. Um, we've been talking a lot, I guess, in the last few weeks about how potentially the next few years in F1, it could be Hamilton versus Verstappen and the battles that we've seen this year so far on the last few races actually have been really um, mouth-watering and exciting and hopefully this is what we see more of in the second half of the season. So as far as the championship is concerned, you know, Hamilton leads by 69 points over Verstappen, Max only seven points behind Valtteri Bottas now in second, so, you know, that's still a pretty big margin, you don't think that he would be able to overturn that by the end of the season, unless, of course, in Christian Horner's words, <laughs> there is a gargantuan stuff-up, um, that's just the censored version of what Horner said, but yeah, unless there's a gargantuan stuff up on Mercedes's end um, in the second half of the season you can't really see Max overturning that um, deficit but the way he's driving I mean if he finishes second in this championship that'll be something given that um, Valtteri Bottas has been you know Bottas Mercedes driver better car but just not really in great form at the moment and Bottas his race was um yeah, from the first lap it was doomed because he made contact with Charles Leclerc, ended up dropping to the rear of the field as well, had damage, um, and was able to only come back to finish in P8, even though the team set the target for sixth when he did have to um, pit early and everything from the back of the field. So, not a great race for Bottas, not great as far as um, his future is concerned too, because the speculation is sort of ramping up now about him increasingly it's going to be likely that he will be replaced by Esteban Ocon next year uh, the case for Valtteri Bottas is there for him to stay at Mercedes and I've said it all along this season he's done a really good job he's been consistent he's been contributing to that tally in the Constructors Championship which you know they've got that mighty lead over Ferrari at the moment but what do Mercedes want, you know, and Bottas, I guess he, the last few races haven't been great for him, Silverstone, he fell on the wrong side of a safety car, he would have beaten Lewis Hamilton in that race, hindsight, same in Germany as well, where just the conditions caught him out, he was in a good position, crashed out, unfortunately, and now, you know, making contact with Leclerc and, um, getting damaged that way it's not usually very Valtteri Bottas like that and that's not reminiscent of the form we saw at the start of the season where he did win two of the first four races so a lot of um, soul searching and head scratching for Bottas, for Bottas over the mid-season break but if Mercedes are going to make a decision over the mid-season break about 2020 and whether they keep Bottas or go for Ocon, 
it seems increasingly likely that they're leaning towards the Ocon camp. And this is just purely through what they're saying and, you know, Toto Wolf as well, some of his comments that he's made after the Hungary weekend. It's just doesn't seem very supportive of Bottas at all, which is going to be really, um, really sad. And I might do a whole thing on Bottas another time anyway when we do the mid-season review and just about how he kind of... It, almost like a poison chalice in a way that when he came to Mercedes that it was almost like a do damned if you do damned if you don't kind of situation because Nico Rosberg, Lewis Hamilton, their relationship went from uh, hunky-dory to pretty toxic over the time that they were together. 2016, Rosberg wins the title, Hamilton very bitter of course because it was... Basically, he had a lot of bad luck during that season that went, um, you know, in Rosberg's favour. And then Rosberg decides to retire, doesn't even give Hamilton the opportunity to win that one back off him the following year. Bottas comes in, basically, after that, Mercedes going for a fresh approach where, you know, the teammates, they can race with each other, but it won't be as chaotic as it was with those two previously being Hamilton and Bottas, uh, sorry, Hamilton and Rosberg, and yeah, last year it sort of reached its peak where Toto Wolf made those comments about Bottas, it was around this time last year as well, I think after Germany, about Bottas being the ideal wingman, you know, and um, Bottas came out and said straight away that wingman hurts, and why wouldn't it hurt, you know, he's He's in this championship to be a champion and then to win races and not play rear gun to his teammates. So, you know, I think this could be... It just... Yeah, I, I don't want to say it because I really like Bottas and I think he's been solid for Mercedes. But if this is going to be it, then this is... It's really sad and hopefully he can find a place on the grid elsewhere in a competitive seat as well because you know he's a race winner he's been on pole he's a solid um, guy consistent he's reliable but yeah you know if Mercedes want to go in a different direction next year and um, you know with Leclerc at Ferrari Verstappen at Red Bull Ocon is probably the ideal one to come into Mercedes to take it to those other young drivers as well and um see how Hamilton goes as well next to him if they take the shackles off Ocon and um, let him race. Anyway, enough on Valtteri for now. More on him um, in the mid-season special. Such was, the, um, such was the pace of the top two in the race that they pretty much left everyone behind. So behind uh, Hamilton and Verstappen, we had the two Ferraris, Charles Leclerc and Sebastian Vettel pretty much running their own race throughout and um, it was a soft tyre strategy that saw Vettel come back and take the podium off his teammate towards the end of the race too, so Leclerc was on for third and um, Ferrari put Seb on a different strategy and he was able to come back and take him, so those four guys were the only ones who did not get lapped in that race, and you know, the fact that we have a Red Bull Honda coming around and lapping the entire competition up to fifth in the race is pretty, <laughs> is very, um, you know, just goes to show you where Hamilton and Verstappen are at the moment form-wise, so P5 was the um, last of the lapped well, the first of the lapped cars or whatever on track, and that was Carlos Sainz with a consecutive finish 
in the top five, um, fifth again, fifth in Germany, fifth again this time, and best of the rest too. And when looking at the championship points, it's pretty impressive seeing Carlos Sainz sitting sixth. Sorry, uh, not sixth. Sorry, in um, I just had a bit of a brain fart there, <laughs> sitting in seventh in the drivers' championship, and only seven points off. Um, I've just had another brain fart here. God, the maths today has just been awful. He's five points off Pierre Gasly in the championship, and that just goes to show you how dismal a season Pierre Gasly has had. And Gasly in Hungary as well had an awful race, obviously being lapped by his teammate um, who finished second, but Gasly finished in sixth. Red Bull, they want him to improve. They're saying that they're going to give him as much time as um, they can to try and improve for next year. But it's getting to that point where, you know, for next year, and if Red Bull are really in this competitive position that they are, then the points that they're losing from Gasly towards the Constructors' Championship, it's going to make a big difference. Because if, if Gasly was firing and had you know, was constantly mixing it in with those top five guys in the races, finishing on the podium and whatnot, I'd say that Red Bull would be ahead of Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship, you know, it's only because they aren't, they don't have that second driver scoring the points, Um, they're not, and given that Red Bull have won two races and Ferrari haven't won anything, it just goes to show you that, yeah, it's just basically consistency of where Ferrari finish, both cars, you know, can pick up podiums, whilst um, at Red Bull, that's not happening, so, Gasly 6th, I reckon it's probably his chances, it's done for him next year, uh, they'll replace him, he could end up back at Toro Rosso, just to give him an extra year, it was too early to promote him anyway, I keep saying, so, but yeah, Carlos Sainz is only 5 points behind him now in the championship, so, you know, if he can turn that deficit around, in the next half of the season, it's going to be a stellar season for Science and for McLaren as well, who still have this really good lead in the Constructors' Championship in that midfield battle, so they're all vying for fourth, and they're almost um, 40 points ahead of Toro Rosso, who are on 43 points, so yeah, it's been great for those guys, Lando Norris in the points again, um, and Alex Albon rounded out the points on this occasion, um, great battle between the two Toro Rosso guys as well uh, earlier in the race and obviously Danny Fiat coming off that podium that he had in Germany unfortunately didn't finish in the points on this occasion but you know he's had a pretty solid first half of the season and Albon as well both those Toro Rosso guys have been doing an outstanding job and then we have Kimi Raikkonen consistent with a capital K I've actually written for this one finishing in seventh and um, he is about, yeah, he's about 25, 27 points to be exact, let's not do estimates, 27 points behind where Carlos Sainz is at the moment in the championship, but, you know, he's been a consistent runner in the Alfa Romeo car, and that's just all that experience that Kimi has, so, you know, Giovinazzi, of course, still just on the one championship point um, after the points in Germany got stripped, but... Kimi's just been really good and you know they're only seven points away from Renault in the Constructors' Championship as well so you know I 
tip them to, unless Renault get their act together in the second half of the season, which, you know, we've been talking about all year, Alfa Romeo could potentially go and um, take that spot off them. So, yeah, good job from Kimi there in Hungary. And Hungary is a circuit as well that Kimi is usually pretty good at. It's, you know, a circuit where a lot of Finns turn up as well. So he's always well supported there. So great result for those guys um, at Alfa Romeo. A lot of interest uh, in this battle outside the points, actually, between the three drivers, two Renaults and a former Renault driver and Kevin Magnussen. So no points to Nico Hülkenberg, Magnussen and Daniel Ricciardo, who started from the back of the grid with a grid penalty. And Magnussen, again, his racecraft blasted by his rivals after the race and um, Daniel Ricciardo really vocal about it, how the stewards are not really doing anything to make an example of it and all that but um yeah you know Magnussen got away with it whatever he did but it doesn't hide the fact that Renault just uh looking pretty shocking at the moment anyway so you know and we saw in Germany as well the opportunity was there for Hülkenberg potentially for a podium only for him to crash out so not great for those guys Haas again no points Roman Grosjean retiring again 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 <laughs> it's i think he's got the most retirements of anyone so far this season so that just goes to show you how awful it's been and he's still running that melbourne spec car as well which is supposedly better than um the car that magnuson has which is the updated spec so grosjean i've already said it i think he won't be on the grid next year definitely won't be with haas because they keep running into each other and again in hungary they were in close proximity the two teammates again so that's pretty much a closed door there for grosjean and you know he's been quick he's been good at, in the middle part of his career especially when he came back and was with lotus after 2012 and the first lap nutcase stuff 2015 where he scored that podium in spa for lotus Mercedes, ironically, the last time that the Enstone team, which is now Renault, were on the podium as well. So, you know, I think maybe he's up for a new challenge as Grosjean. So that'll be it as far as that's concerned. So, yeah, Grosjean, the only retiree in the race. That pretty much wraps it up um, where everyone sits. And going back to what I was saying before, championship-wise, you know, 69 points between Hamilton and... Um, Verstappen in third if Hamilton was to have like a rotten run then yeah you could see Verstappen make a, a comeback and get up there but it doesn't look very likely but also we're going to two tracks now after the mid-season break Spa Monza which should suit Ferrari more because they've got that ex that top speed and it's a very like a low drag circuits both Spa and Monza um, so if they were to take some wins this year, you'd hope it would be there. And of course, Seb won in Belgium last year. It was his last win in F1 too. So we're coming up to 12 months since Seb last won in the sport. And then, you know, Ferrari victory in Monza is always really popular as well. So we'll see what happens when we get to those two venues. But I think overall, it's just going to be nice to have a little bit of a break. Let um, everyone reset ahead of the second part of the season and I know everyone's probably still a bit disillusioned dissatisfied with how the season's panned out and no one's really been able to fight Mercedes for the championship but we really got you know the seeds being 
put uh, the seeds are being sown for next year and if Red Bull and Honda have a consistent race winning package under their belt from the first race then they could be the ones to take it to Mercedes you know you can forget about Ferrari altogether let's just not even talk about them they've been utterly useless I think <laughs> that's very strong words but I, I uh, they really just this is why I don't support Ferrari at all you know they they're all talk basically and good luck to whoever do, does support them I respect you for doing that but they really just yeah they can't get it together so Red Bull it is for next year and even Red Bull I'm not personally a big fan of as well as far as the way they run things with Helmut Marco and all that sort of stuff is concerned so yeah Red Bull probably looking more likely to take the challenge next year but it's good I'm really happy for Honda because at the end of 2017 when they had to separate with McLaren it was just like well I feel bad for McLaren but what about Honda too you know because they've actually genuinely tried in the la in those years since 2015 to to get into a position but because of how high profile that relationship was it just and the way there were certain things that just were not gelling and they weren't really trying to adapt to each other. It was McLaren just like, right, you adapt to us sort of thing, where Red Bull, I think, the partnership is a lot more two-way. And given the fact that they've got that extra support from Toro Rosso as well, and last year having that whole year to basically use as a development year on the Toro Rosso car as well has really paid dividends. So... You know, it's good to see Honda on the rise in um, F1, especially if Ferrari can't get their act together and Renault as well, um, especially looking at the at where the works team are this year. It's really dreadful and poor Daniel Ricciardo as well. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there saying that he must be regretting moving to Renault. I'm sure his pockets don't... Um, don't say that but uh yeah it's just you know not where he wants to be a guy who can win a race on his day and could be a championship contender as well at some point in the future if they can get their act together quickly just to wrap up all the f1 uh the hungarian grand prix weekend stuff so it was a significant moment on the sunday when mick schumacher won his first ever f2 race it was a sprint race that he was on pole position for reverse grid pole, mind you, because he finished eighth in the feature race on Saturday. Even though sprint races don't really mean much as far as, you know, picking out the best drivers are concerned in Formula 2, I guess it was a significant moment because we had a Schumacher win on an F1 weekend um, at a circuit, of course, that Michael Schumacher, his father himself, had had a lot of success on. So, you know... Mick's not really had the most consistent of years in F2 so far this year. You'd think that, yeah, another year... I've always said 2021 is the earliest we'll see him in F1, so he needs to have a standout year next year, of course, to be able to do that. But, you know, this is just slowly developing, and, you know, I've said it all along. I don't want to see him in F1 if it's just for the name, you know. He's got to have his own talent to back that up. So, so far this year, what we've seen has not been... Um, enough to justify it but I'm sure given another year 
stay with the same team with Prema. They're really solid, um, and we'll start seeing some victories, some feature race wins, which is the more important thing. And um, Nick DeVries at the moment leading that championship ahead of Latif Nicholas Latifi. So we're saying um, when I did the Regen podcast a couple of weeks ago with the guys talking about who would be great to see move up into F2, oh sorry, into Formula E, some young drivers up and coming. It's not really, I can't really see Nick, Nick DeVries jumping into Formula 1 um, next, obviously not next year unless something dramatically happens in the silly season, but he would be great in an F2, oh sorry, not I keep saying F2, great, first it was the maths, now it's this, what's happening today? Anyway, into Formula E, he would be great to fit into there, and we've seen some other young drivers jump in there and do really well. Stoffel Van Dorn's doing a good job at the moment, and look forward to seeing how he goes in the next season, obviously, with his HWA team turning into the factory Mercedes outfit in Formula E. So, yeah, Nick DeVries would be a, a great guy to see there. Latifi, though, on the other hand, he is likely to replace Robert Kubitzer at Williams. MotoGP then I'll talk a little bit about that so that returned after its um, summer break at the Czech Grand Prix last weekend delayed start to the race um, because of the weather that was around and unfortunately I couldn't watch it live because it would have been a nice um, build up into the F1 but yeah it was pretty much running alongside Formula One um, over that uh, Sunday so had to watch the highlights on Monday no problem great race though even though we saw Mark Marquez uh, go through win his 50th premier class race absolute masterclass from Marquez as well but you know MotoGP is still always really really exciting to watch um, got away pretty quickly but Andre Davizioso, who started fourth and got up to second um, before the first corner, was able to keep within touching distance of Marquez in the first half of the race. But then after lap 10, um, sort of in the middle of the race, after the middle of the race, um, Marquez just pretty much turned up the wick and was gone. He disappeared. So that, I guess, really... Um, ruffled Davizioso's feathers a little bit that uh, Marquez just has this um, pace that he can just disappear with in the latter part of the race and pretty much left Dovi on the Ducati to run his own race in second because the guys behind him fighting over third he was you know had enough of a margin to stay ahead of him so not really good as far as you know his championship aspirations are concerned it's not going to happen, basically, same story with Lewis Hamilton there, you know, unless something catastrophically goes wrong for Marquez or something, you know, he ends up injured and misses a few races, you would expect Marquez to wrap up his sixth championship in the Premier class as well this year, meaning that he's just one away from equaling another legend in Valentino Rossi for seven championships in the Premier class, like... Hamilton will with Schumacher eventually so yeah great win for Marquez obviously bringing up another record the 50th Dovi second great fight over P3 and it was Jack Miller who prevailed on the last lap over Alex Rins Rins 
last couple of races before the mid-season break was a bit dismal because he crashed out. Um, Saxon Ring as well was awful for him to crash out there. And at one point this year, we were talking about Alex Rins being a title contender too. So how quickly, you know, it's sort of just fallen away for those guys. And Marquez just in another universe, you've got to say. And all the guys behind are basically just there to pick up the pieces if something goes wrong for Marquez, as Rins did in in Texas when um, Marquez uh, crashed out and Rins took his one and only win in MotoGP so far. So, but good for Miller to be back on the podium. I'm sure that'll help his chances for staying at Pramac Ducati next year. That's two podiums this year should be enough, given that his rookie teammate has been struggling a little bit, but. Of course, uh, Peko Bagnaia is on the old um, old Spectre Caddy from last year. So, good stuff from Miller. Second podium, of course, and the last podium that he had was at Texas as well, where Rins won that race eventually. So, good result there for the Jackass. Um, Cal Crutchlow. Cal dispatches Val. <laughs> he um, dispatched Valentino Rossi midway through the race. He started way down, did Cal, but um, ended up coming back to finish uh, three seconds clear. In fifth or sixth, I think it was, Valentino Rossi, he was the leading Yamaha in the race, but it was another poor outing for those guys. And they're testing, they were testing for 2020, um, on earlier in the week and this is where Juan Mir had a really really nasty crash which hospital he was hospitalised for thankfully the rider is okay after that and there's two consecutive crashes in consecutive days for Mir because he crashed out of the Czech Grand Prix um, with Franco Morbidelli on the opening lap so that wasn't too great and then yeah having that nasty crash in testing but yeah Yamaha you know Rossi a little indifferent about the bike that they tested for next year as well um and again a lot of talk about him whether he'll be hanging up the helmet whether he can do it this year does he see out his contract which seems the likely more likely thing and obviously his contract is uh, till the end of next year so next year could be the uh final year for the doctor in in MotoGP as far as being a rider is concerned so yeah he was a lead Yamaha in this instance Fabio Quattararo and Maverick Vinales finished in the top 10 but didn't really have impressive races. Um, Johan Zarco, who's been anonymous pretty much all year this year on the KTM, it's been an awful year. It's almost the same as Daniel Ricciardo at Renault, but probably worse. And they were two pretty bold moves anyway last year, Ricciardo to Renault and Zarco to KTM. And it's just gone backwards for both of them. But yeah, it was positive seeing Zarco on the front row. First ever front row for KTM in MotoGP. But first lap, he just dropped. He It's like the pin dropping. He dropped to 12th. And then at the end of the race, he was 16th and didn't even get to score a point. So um, yeah, after starting on the front row, you would have expected a little more from Zarco. But yeah, just he doesn't seem to be able to... Uh, get to grips with this KTM bike you know his teammate uh, Polo Spargo is uh, has sort of found a way found a magic bullet if you'd like to say on how to get the best out of that bike but um, Zarco has uh, really struggled switching over from the Yamaha from last year so yeah um, and heading straight to Austria this weekend as well in Austria the power circuit has been 
you know, a Ducati, um, Ducati stomping ground over the last few years. So, you know, it'll be good to see those guys try and get up there. And of course, Dovi hasn't won a race since the opening race in Qatar and, um, Petrucci took that famous win in Mugello at his home race in Italy. So those guys will be hoping to uh, get a good result in Austria. It might not do much championship-wise, given Marquez's lead is sort of similar to Hamilton's. It's in the 60s as far as the points are concerned. But, you know, just for a bit of morale and everything and trying to mix things up, it would be good to see um, another win for Ducati this season. Maybe... Jack Miller can get up there, you know, on the satellite Ducati, that would be something, <laughs> just wishful thinking in the end, but yeah, they're hitting the track in a couple of days, and the Moto E, the electric bikes will be on um, at the Red Bull ring as well, so that'll be really exciting to see, and um, hopefully the guys at Regen will be watching it as well, because uh, it seems like I sold them to MotoGP. If not, that's alright, I don't mind. But yeah, hopefully, um, so those guys can tune in and watch as well. So, it's that time now again where I do deviate from the old um, motorsport stuff and uh, talk a bit of uh, ball sports instead. And mentioned last week that the Ashes are on the old rivalry, England-Australia fighting for a little urn in the game called cricket test cricket it still exists where you watch you know <laughs> you watch it for five days some people think it's absolutely boring i only like it on occasion I, i've respected enough to having played cricket to understand you know how good it is but you know it's it's good to have i find it i find most sport to be good to have on in the background and you know enjoy it that way but the ashes are a whole different contest and you know how much I love contests, you know, State of Origin and the like. So these old rivalries are really, really good. But um, yeah, first test, a lot of hype, obviously, around it, given that, um, you know, Australia currently hold the Ashes after their win at home a few years ago. England riding high after their Cricket World Cup win in the one-day format. And how would they go against Australia, who are still rebuilding you could say, or have rebuilt themselves after what happened last year with the ball tampering, uh, sandpaper gate or whatever. They've got the three players that were banned back into the team now. Steve Smith, David Warner and Cameron Bancroft, all three of them in the side for the first test. And who would have picked that Australia would not only beat England, but completely demoralise and humiliate them in that first test at Edgebaston, Birmingham, which has been quite a parochial parochial venue and one at Australia that and one that Australia haven't won at for quite a long time in the test format. So a two hundred and fifty one run win for Australia over England was I guess, you know, if you'd woken up Tuesday morning here having not watched the the evening's play or whatever to that result you would have fell or fallen off your chair or something so you know they were able to bowl out England for 146 in the final innings um they were chasing 398 to win which was a mammoth total anyway some say Australia went a bit too far they should have declared a bit earlier but in the end it was a perfect total 
Nathan Lyon, 6 of 49. His figures were outstanding. Pat Cummins as well, solid in the first test, 4 for 32 in the second innings. It didn't start that way, though. So the first day, Australia had won the toss, selected to bat first. But then wicket after wicket, we were sort of all scratching our heads and saying, you know, this is not sort of what we expected from these batsmen because guys like David Warner, Cameron Bancroft, supposed to have a bit more confidence. Warner especially, who still seems a little shaky upon return. He got dismissed pretty cheaply in both innings. Um, But the first innings was resurrected for Australia by Steve Smith and Peter Siddle putting on an eighth-wicket partnership. Um down the order, Smith with 100 to silence his critics and everything, um, having been the captain behind the sandpaper gate and everything and um, his return to the team, the English crowd really gave it to him, but you know they still got to respect the fact that he scored 100 England went on to have a decent first innings with a bat um, before Australia in the second innings you know, went on 487 they didn't even get bowled out it was seven wickets down and they decided to declare and a second century for Steve Smith as well um, in the second innings which earned him the man of the match honours so for Smith to come back 12 months after he last played test cricket to oh it's been more than 12 months actually because the bans were lifted in March so you know it's longer than 12 months out of test cricket and he's come back to the arena in which he is, you got to say, one of the greatest batsmen we've seen, you know, since, everyone says, since Donald Bradman here in Australia. So, Smith back-to-back hundreds, Ashes test, two hundreds for him in one test match is absolutely phenomenal, 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 and also good to see Matthew Wade as well score a hundred, so his first hundred for a very long time. I mean, there was a time where he, when he was the incumbent wicketkeeper in the team where his batting was really poor, but he's been brought into this team as a um, specialist batsman after his form in the Sheffield Shield competition last year was really, really impeccable, and he really made it made it inexcusable if he wouldn't be selected, but he was, and he totally justified his selection, which is good to see. That's, I guess, uh, how they got to that big total. But also, for England, I mean, this is not all just about Australia. England as well, you've got to say it hurt them um, with James Anderson, their strike bowler, going down with an injury um, in the first innings as well. So he barely was able to bat um, in the first innings, but, you know, couldn't bowl a ball in the second innings. And he'll be out for the second test too, which is going to really hurt them as well. And he's been really solid at Lords over the last few years, well, throughout his career, basically. So it's going to be a big loss to those guys there. And I wouldn't say that it made it all too easy for Australia, but England, just after after the first innings and then also losing Anderson as well, they just seemed like they weren't... They just seemed demoralised, like they just didn't grind it out like you should in a test match and just pretty much gave up it seems so Australia then big score 487 left England to chase 398 to win and then to be bowled out for 146 just seemed like they didn't really show up um, to play in that final day so you know a bit disappointing for those guys and also to go 1-0 down as well I mean they're going to have to look to to bounce back for the second test Um, those guys 
the only changes you'd foresee they'd make are on the bowling stocks. Uh, Moeen Ali was the guy who was sort of ridiculed and um, just he was terrible in that test. You know, bat- batting wise as well, there was that you know he was completely bamboozled by Lyon and just let one through. It was it was awful. <laughs> just replaying that. Um, that ball in my head again and how he just let Lyon go and take his stumps out it was no good. And then even with the ball, uh, Moeen was not that great either. So they're talking about potentially bringing in Jack Leach, who's a left-arm orthodox spinner, um, who could potentially trouble Steve Smith, which is they're going to have to target him in the second test. And then Jofra Archer, who was the real standout for England with the ball in the World Cup, he to play his first test for England um, in place of Jimmy Anderson. So that's where that strike power will be at. Joffre is really quick and should be suited to the Lord's conditions as well. And I guess, apart from the World Cup, I've only really seen Joffre Archer in the Big Bash playing for the Hobart team, and he's quite the solid bowler. So, yeah, you'd think that they will do quite well. Australia... I wouldn't make any changes personally to the team for the second test as well. Um, it's good to see that this team that they did pick for the first test, you know, was based on form that these players have had in English conditions. So whilst you had the one-day team playing the World Cup and everything, you had guys like James Anders, uh, James Pattinson, sorry, I should say, Peter Siddle playing county cricket um, here over there and um, those guys were rewarded their form was rewarded with selection and they both did a pretty solid job and Siddle not only with ball but with bat as well with um, that uh, 44 runs that he put into that partnership with Steve Smith in the first innings that was really really you know really really solid and you'd think that he would get to stick around for the second test as well and Pattinson just good to see him back in the test arena too he's another one of those guys who've been who's been in and out with injury Will they manage him throughout the series as well? You know, don't want to put too much of a load through him, given that it is his first series back as a test bowler, probably. But if he's fit, leave him in there for Lords. Like, I know they're talking about Mitchell Stark potentially being better suited to those conditions, but it's really hard to change a winning team unless it's um, off the back of injury or anything like that, which Australia have been fine. But, you know, if there is trouble in the second test, then for the third test at Headingley, there could be changes, you know, they've already talked about Cameron Bancroft, if he doesn't deliver in the second test, then you've got Marcus Harris, who's knocking on the door, and he was the incumbent opener for the Aussies over the summer, and then, um, yeah, Mitchell Stark, Josh Hazelwood, still out of the team, can those guys come back? And, yeah, I guess that's all. It'll be exciting to see the second test start next week. Wednesday, I think it is, at Lords, And Lords is always such a famous um, venue for this sort of stuff. Um, and given that we're on break at the moment with F1 as well, trying to fill the gaps with other stuff, I, I should just enjoy having a break and everything all together. But yeah, no, it'll be exciting. Um, when F1 comes back at Spa. So yeah, Tomorrow, next week, I mean, not tomorrow, next week I reckon I'll probably give it a break, we'll uh, be back the following week to do the mid-season special, do silly season and that sort of stuff as well, and then before you know it, we'll be ready to um, head off to Spa and uh, start the second half of the season, so 
for the first half of the season, for the Hungarian Grand Prix, everything else we've talked about today, thank you very much for joining us. As always, remember to look us up on Facebook and Twitter. I've got the links in the description and everything. And you can listen to this podcast on Transistor as well as iTunes and Spotify. So hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week and your weekends. Stay warm or stay cool, depending on which side of the world you're on. And um, yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Ciao.